Hi folks, before we start this week's episode, I wanted to ask for your support for Design Museum Everywhere. Just like this podcast, so much of what Design Museum Everywhere puts out in the world is free and accessible to everyone. We're all about bringing design impact everywhere, whether it's our virtual events, like our recent Design Museum Live on data visualization and COVID-19, or our We Design online exhibition featuring designers of color across every design field, or the hundreds of articles on design on our website and in our magazine, like one of my personal favorites, Design Thinking for Rocket Scientists. There's just so much Design Museum content to enjoy. It's all made possible by people like you whose financial support drives our ability to bring the transformative power of design everywhere. If you enjoy this podcast, I hope you'll consider making a year-end gift to support us. Your donation is tax deductible and means a lot to us. So visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on the link at the top of the page. Thanks, and now on to the show. Welcome to Design is Everywhere, the weekly podcast from the Design Museum. I'm your host, Sam Aquilano. I'm the founder and executive director of the Design Museum. Each week on our show, we tackle a different element of design and explore how it impacts our everyday lives. We always have the help of a new guest co-host who is an expert in their field, and we interview a guest about their work in design, because design is everywhere, and so are we. Today, we're chatting about user experience design in healthcare. User experience design, or UX design, might be a new term to you. You might be familiar with things like design research, user interface design, information architecture. I'm sure I'm forgetting some terms and expertise areas. But user experience design is about designing a whole system, including digital, graphic, service, and physical elements. It can extend into every aspect of, well, any experience. And of course, our healthcare experience is complex, very complex. We've spoken about this in past episodes. There's the healthcare facility, there are websites, there's medical equipment with screens and electronic medical records. There are so many stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem, from patients to families to doctors and nurses and administrators, insurance companies. It's a lot. To dig into user experience design in healthcare, we have a great guest co-host, John Follett. He is a principal at GoInvo, a design practice dedicated to innovation in healthcare. So who better to talk with us about healthcare UX design? And then John and I will welcome our special guest, Corey Roth, and continue our conversation. Corey is a lead designer at Cantina, a design agency in Boston. Plus, as always, we'll have our weekly dose of good design. Before we dive in, a little news and what's coming up from the Design Museum. First, I want to make sure everyone knows about our Bespoke Bodies, the Design and Craft of Prosthetics book. This is a book that we've been developing over the last five years with all of our research around the design of prosthetics. We work so closely with the limb loss and limb difference communities to tell a bunch of amazing stories and include sort of the latest in prosthetic design. There's so much exciting stuff happening from robotics to sensors to 3D printing, and all of it has real impact in people's lives. So it's an awesome book. Check it out on our website and pre-order your copy at designmuseumeverywhere.org. And with the holidays coming up, I wanted to make sure everyone knows you can buy a Design Museum membership as a gift for someone. So if you have that person in your life who loves design, consider getting a gift of Design Museum membership. Members get Design Museum magazine mailed to them every quarter. They get free access to all of our live virtual events and so much more. 
So check that out. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and in the menu, click on support and then click on membership. Now onto this week's topic. Our healthcare system is huge and complex. It's a series of experiences that span digital, physical services, hits all of our senses. Just think of all the people we interact with and the touch points along our healthcare journey. On past episodes, we've talked about the design of medical facilities, medical product design, even about medical robots and the move towards telemedicine where part of the healthcare experience actually happening right in your home and over the internet. There are designers, user experience designers, that think about the user experience of healthcare. And what a time to be a user experience designer in healthcare. We have huge challenges of access to care, costs are sometimes out of control, and there's a whole layer of big data from electronic medical records proliferating across the ecosystem. It's enough to make you dizzy. I'm a little dizzy just talking about it to undizzy this with us and to talk about how user experience designers work and make impact in the healthcare system, I'd like to welcome our guest co-host to the show. John Follett is a writer, musician, and emerging tech researcher who is a principal at GoInvo, a design practice dedicated to innovation in healthcare. And he's a prolific author and podcast producer himself and host. Uh, his latest book is Design for Emerging Technologies, and his podcast is called Creative Next. Here's a clip. So, John, how did our interview with Claire impact your thinking about the work we are doing with Creative Next? I was fascinated by their process for songwriting using the AI to generate source material. I think, I, you know, uh, especially, you know, the way she described that, you know, they took the MIDI files of older things they had done and, you know, the AI sorted it out to create this uh, new material, which they then curated to come up with you know, these, these new sounds on their tracks. John, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Sam. So user experience design or UX design can feel like a very broad term. And I feel like there's a constant Twitter battle online of like people trying to define it. So how do you define it sort of versus user interface design or product design? For me, so I'm just going to talk about sort of how I see it and not going to try to define it for, for everybody, but a user-centered design process for creating useful and beautiful products and services as well. And it, it can uh, operate on both strategic and uh, tactical levels. Now, on the practice side, UX can really encompass a lot. It depends how broadly you want to draw the circle. So user research is critical. Uh, ethnography, aspects of ethnography can can uh, be involved in that. And then obviously you have these sort of longer term practices of information architecture and interaction design, which were really, if you want to call them founding practices, I mean, these, these practices have been around uh, for many decades. And of course, you have your visual design and, and user interface design. Uh, sometimes folks will include front end coding, depending on how you're prototyping. And then as you know, this develops in the 2020s, of course, keep drawing that circle wider to include uh, behavioral sciences uh, and service design. And, and I'm not saying that these, uh, these have been uh, involved in user experience design for much longer, but you see this, this term sort of broadening its reach. What are like the tools you use to do user experience design? Like the, what's the process? Yeah, so the digital tools are are you know there's there's massive numbers of digital tools. Uh, I came from uh, the user interface side of things and and information architecture, so 
uh, I was at home in Photoshop or Sketch or Figma. Um, and then on the user research side, it's really all about asking good questions and being able to observe people. So, you know, the tools on that side are, are as varied as, you know, survey tools or uh, just methods of observation or being able to, you know, formulate the right questions for a usability study, you know, uh, various protocols. So the tools range from, you know, your sort of pure digital uh, all the way to, you know, just just sort of being curious about people. I mean, the best tool is asking why, right? Like, like, why is this happening? Why isn't the user being served? You know, why is this taking so long uh, for someone to do? That's probably, you know, one of the more important uh, aspects is being curious. Have you always been curious about people? And can you remember a time when like your curiosity led you to questions and maybe to like a design insight? Yeah, I've 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 always been I, I think curious about people and, and why they did the things they did. And so it, it's worth remembering that, you know, when you're looking at human behavior, um, you know, that could, that can go in any numbers of directions. I mean, there's ways to manipulate human behavior and there's ways to sort of assist it. I, I, I think as a kid, I always, I always wondered why people reacted to things the way they did. Uh, so I don't think I ever came up with any useful design solutions um, other than knowing, uh, you know, uh, how to sort of feed people the right information at the right time, which, you know, mm. is, is, is a way of, you know, learning to be persuasive. Uh, so sort of beyond that, I, I, I think that was sort of my entry point into, uh, uh, into communication and design was, was trying to persuade people to do things. Can you tell us more about GoInvo? Because I think the work you all are doing there is so cool. And I'm curious, you know, there's a lot of design firms, innovation firms out there, but you have chosen to focus on healthcare. So I'd love to know why. Yeah. So real briefly, we're, you know, GoInvo is is a design studio. We're, we're a small, uh, small design studio in the Boston area. Uh, as you said, we're entirely focused on healthcare. Uh, we've been in business for about 15 years and, you know, we've, had clients as large as you know Johnson and Johnson and 3M, uh, even the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and then tons of startups that you know hopefully one day will be changing uh, changing how health healthcare is is practiced. So wide range of work. We're small on purpose uh, because you know frankly the uh, the principles of the firm, myself and 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 my business partner Yuhan. Uh, we're a little obsessive compulsive, so we like to be involved in projects, Yuhan especially. And so that doesn't particularly scale into a large organization, but it also allows us to be selective about the projects we worked on, uh, we work on. And as for why we're focused on healthcare, it, it really is an area where you can have tremendous impact on, on how people live. And I think underlying our design philosophy is this idea that we we would really like to make things better for people. I'd love to get in some recent or favorite projects. I know you, you all have done a lot of work in the EHR or electronic medical records space. So maybe an example of that kind of project, but also let's get in some of like the services and human <laughs> behavior change. So there are a couple of projects you can share? Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, a lot of our projects now are trending towards more of the strategic design side. Uh, we, we still do a lot of tactical design, especially if it's a, a, 
a commercialization project where we're taking a, a technology and um, you know, sort of creating the user experience around it and helping a company bring it to market. Um, so, so one example I'll give is from that uh, commercialization aspect. So a company will bring us in early to uh, take a look at you know, a potential technology and say like, okay, we think the market is this, we think users will use it this way. Let's go and prototype this. Let's go find the product market fit. Let's go uh, show this to people, see how they might use it. Um, and then if that works, then we'll scale to production. That's, that's usually our, our early mandate on a project. So we worked with a startup that eventually got acquired by 3M, but at the beginning, it, it was a set of, you know, sort of natural language processing that would identify aspects of uh, doctor's notes, be they handwritten, audio, what have you, uh, sort of this, uh, uh, cryptic, uh, <laughs> notes that <laughs> if that, anyone's ever seen a report, like a chart, right? Yeah. These sort of less obvious, but, uh, still very important notes. Um, and, and would use natural language processing, uh, to map those diagnoses and other things to, uh, uh, medical codes. So ICD 10 codes. Uh, so essentially you have in hospitals, you have a, whole group of people who just, it's their job to go through uh, records, be they handwritten or otherwise in, a, in an EHR and map these insurance codes uh, to what's going on with the patient. So mm -hmm. if you went in and you had a broken arm, there would be a code for that. If you scraped your knee, if you got stitches, I don't, you know, whatever reason you're at the hospital. So this service actually would automate some of that process and, hmm. and, you know, ultimately enable people to actually get their jobs done as opposed to having this huge <laughs> queue. Yeah. So we had this call, we, you know, we, we did the, the prototyping, we, you know, did sort of the initial uh, install at this hospital system. And uh, we got a, a, a frantic call from, from one of the managers and they said to us, there's nothing in the system. Uh, it was like 3 p.m. Uh, and and they're, they're like, there's, you know, there's there's nothing here. You know, some something's broken. So we went in and looked at it. And uh, the answer was they actually finished. <laughs> they had never finished before. So they didn't know what to do. know what to do. It was like inbox zero. Right. Yeah. If yeah. you've never been there and you're like, I have no email. That's that's what it's like, it was. So what do I do next? Yeah. yeah. And we said, no, <laughs> just go home. Come back tomorrow. You're you're actually done. You did it. <laughs> it's a game changer for them. So wow. so that's that's a real win for, I think, the combination of design and technology to get somebody to done with their work so they can start thinking about, you know, the higher level things to, you know, improve as opposed to always, you know, uh, digging through the drudgery of it all. Yeah. Focused on not caring for people. How about on the, like, uh, you know, you mentioned doctors are burning out and behaviors and also patient behaviors too. Have you done any work around any strategic stuff around like human behavior? Yeah. So we just actually recently did, um, a research piece, which is, uh, you know, if you're interested in in what contributes to physician burnout, um, our our medical director actually 
authored a piece all about physician burnout. And, you know, so we did uh, some in-depth research. It's on our site now and you can check it out. I believe it's under the, the vision category on our website. Um, and, and just sort of taking into account all of the uh, various factors that are making it really difficult uh, for doctors to practice medicine as as maybe as they see fit, uh, meaning interacting with patients and not with machines necessarily, um, not staying you know after hours just to fill out notes in an EHR, um, and and I'm just giving you sort of some of the the technological um, uh, pressures, but there's there's all kinds of pressures to uh, you know see more patients so they can bill more. Uh, any of these factors, uh, you know, alongside billing can, you know, create all kinds of problems. And so, so the research, all the research we do as a studio is, is open source. Um, and that's part of our mission, you know, to sort of, to give back to the community, right. To, mm -hmm. to provide some foundational elements that, you know, we think will be helpful to people. Uh, so we've had, had a lot of success with that with that model over the years, um, and this this latest piece, I, I, I you know I hope will have that same kind of impact. I think it will. It's so relevant right now, and I wonder how your design work, GoInvo, the practice has maybe changed during the pandemic. The pandemic has basically forced every organization's digital transformation plans has pushed them five years forward in, you know, like five weeks. So it's because everybody's connecting digitally now, you just have to make it work. Like we have to make telemedicine work now. There isn't, there isn't a lot of choice in the matter. So that is a heck of a forcing function. Now, I, I'm not saying that, I mean, the pandemic is obviously terrible circumstances, but it does give us the chance to really create uh, this access to services that might otherwise be be difficult to come by. Uh, so, so you can get in touch with your primary care physician. Maybe you can do some of the basics around, um, you know, uh, an encounter, a, a basic visit, all done digitally. Um, and I'll, I'll I'll just say we we also have have done a bunch of research around digital primary care. So all of the elements that you actually can do uh, for a doctor's visit, but you can do that uh, uh, on a digital basis. So that's on our site as well. Um, but that's that's one of our areas of focus. Really is is turning this uh, you know pandemic into you know hopefully creating some positive momentum around telemedicine and and other digital services yeah listeners be sure to check out john's and the team's work at GoInvo. like we talked about they do amazing work in the healthcare system they're definitely leaders in this whole notion of open source healthcare which could be a whole other episode they did write an article about open source healthcare for design music magazine uh, so we'll be sure to post a link to that uh, but check out their website goinvo.com and check out John's podcast at creativenext.org. And John, stay with us. And we'll bring Corey Roth from Cantina uh, in a minute to the conversation and keep chatting about UX design and healthcare. This holiday season, give the design lover in your life something truly unique. 
At Design Museum Everywhere, we've opened an online holiday store with several publications, including our books, Bespoke Bodies, about the design and craft of prosthetics, and Design and Play. It features incredible photography and stories about play environments from around the world. We also have our Design Museum Magazine, which is our quarterly publication on design impact. We also have gift memberships, which are perfect for employees, general design enthusiasts, and students or young professionals looking for resources and professional development. All membership levels include a magazine subscription. Check out the store on our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org. We're back and we're joined by our special guest, Corey Roth. Corey is a lead designer at Cantina, a design agency in Boston. He has extensive experience in research in healthcare and turning design thinking into design doing. Before Cantina, Corey was at Cardinal Health and CVS Health. He helps clients think innovatively and all about being human-centered. So Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So to start, can you tell us a bit about your role as a consultant at Cantina and sort of like your clients are coming to you, what kind of problems are they facing in the healthcare space? So they face all sorts of challenges in healthcare and our role as a consultancy is really to be their partner when it comes to innovation and digital transformation. So quite frequently, they're trying to figure out how to modernize um, processes within their organization or how they need to change their business and their way of working so that they can more effectively deliver uh, better designed uh, experiences and services to patients, providers, employers, and so on. What is your first step when you you know, join them for one of these engagements where you're helping them build a UX team? Where do you start? I mean, you've, you've got to start from the foundation, which is who are the people within their business that they work with? Who are their, their customer groups, their customer segments? What do they already know about um, their particular uh, market? Uh, you know, if, if we take healthcare as kind of the example, are they a B2B or B2C company? Are they in the provider space or are they in the, the physician space or the pharmaceutical space? You know, all those things can make big differences in the, the way that they need to build out their team, especially depending on the kinds of products and services that they're, they're putting out. Um, and, and so a lot of the activities that we do upfront with an organization involve these workshops where we're trying to uncover their existing processes, um, the way that they, they work, how that they're perceived within the business by other teams. Um, and then help them set a vision for where they want to be in the future. You know, if we're looking back in five years, how would we say that we're successful? What are some of the pain points to adopting design? When you know, when you're coming into an organization and you've got all these different levels from the C level to, you know, you know, management to, you know, the actual design team, where are you seeing like the most difficulty or, you know, what what are the what are the best areas for uh, getting people to adopt design practice, especially if they're unfamiliar with it. Sure. I would say that that comes down to, to one word, culture. How do you create a culture of design within an organization? And it, there's kind of three pillars or three lenses that we look at there. One being um, how are priorities being communicated throughout the, the business? And how do we make sure that design is being communicated as one of those priorities? Another one is uh, building habits. So if you're... Uh, having challenges as a particular stakeholder, perhaps design is being left to the wayside in a process. What, do, what are the changes that we need to make in our habits so that 
that doesn't happen. Um, and then lastly, building support networks within an organization. I'm really into the the concept or idea of, of designing rituals lately. What are the the daily rituals that we practice as a design team or within our organization um, to to make sure that we're uh, continually coming back and considering um, who ultimately this is for. What are the biggest challenges you're seeing from a user experience standpoint or, or opportunities? You know, I was really interested, particularly with COVID, to see what the knock-on effects were going to be in healthcare. Because at the beginning of the pandemic, we saw telehealth kind of ticked up real quick. And a lot of, of organizations were, were touting that there was innovation that they were trying to push within their organization that previously they'd, they'd been trying for 10 years and now in 10 weeks they were yeah. they were getting it done <laughs> and and so it wasn't that celebration yeah yeah it wasn't that necessarily that it was intrinsically difficult um to 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 innovate it was that um, reticence to change and that that need to change culture within within their organization yeah john what do you think big challenges or opportunities for ux and healthcare yeah I, I think a huge opportunity and and challenge is uh, you know around patient data co-ownership. So so the promise of digital health is that you can I mean part of the promise is that you have these uh, medical records that can follow you anywhere over your lifetime, right? So you've got this longitudinal record of uh, you know everything that's uh, sort of affected you and your life and your health, and you can share that and you can get better care because of it. Um, but that's not being realized right now. You know, we're sort of in this transition period from, you know, we're used to operating a certain way. I kind of uh, liken it to, you know, the change from steam power to electric power, right? So you're in the factory, you've got this big steam engine, right? So you need just another big electric engine, right? Well, that's kind of not the the right way to do it. You need smaller electric engines that are uh, positioned all around the factory. That's that's the solution they figured out after you know a, like a decade of 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 messing around. So we're we're at a similar point right now with the you know digitization of health records. Like it's bottled up, right? I can't necessarily get my health records. I don't really own it. Uh, I can sometimes get a copy of it. Um, and so that that really comes comes down to, you know, sort of this understanding um, of of what, you know, digital data is to our lives and then uh, implementing like the right laws and policies so that we can, you know, sort of have access and ownership over stuff that's really ours to begin with, but uh, through a series of, you know, sort of unfortunate uh, uh, events, right? We're 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 not even we're not even really co-owners. So so I I think that's that's one of you know many I think opportunities that uh, that I see for our listeners who are like I want to build a culture of design in my organization, but now we're remote. What what would be your advice to them to to build that creative um, culture and design culture in these times? Wow, yeah. I mean, so in in physical space, it's it's so nice to have sort of random serendipity happen when you're when you're in your studio and you're 
drawing on the wall. You know, we have whiteboards on the walls. You know, you're not just going to. And and someone comes by and says, hey, that that reminds me of something. Let's let's talk about that. Maybe this will help you with your project. Um, so we don't have that physical serendipity as much anymore, which which is, I think, a real problem. Um, so so there are, you know, on a purely tactical level, there are some interesting exercises that you can you can do to try to create some of that, whether it's you know, having this ambient presence, right? Like start a Zoom meeting, leave it on, right? With your team. And you're like, oh, hey, <laughs> you know, you can ask each other questions or over Slack or um, we do virtual DJing, right? So we have a service where everybody's Spotify is hooked up and um, there's a virtual DJ and you know that someone's going crazy playing all the 80s, you know, music. And it just kind of creates this, uh, you know, ambient presence of other creative people around you. Really difficult, I think, to do virtually, but, um, you know, you're sort of figuring that out as 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 we try and yeah, right. you know, try these it. experiments and fail and then, yeah, and then like try that. again. Yeah, the on just always on Zoom could be interesting. Corey, what about you? Like, what's your advice? Uh, you might be doing this right now with some of your clients since I'm sure that they're likely remote. Um, what's your advice to build this culture? I think John built, really hit the nail on the head there with those rituals that you you build into um, your your work week, um, both the the planned and unplanned. You know whether that's um, having a, a reoccurring coffee chat that you know maybe every you know nine ten p.m. or ten a.m. on Wednesdays the team just sits down and talks about um, how their week's going. Um, a great tool for that can be um, just having a, a different question um, to, to 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 talk through, which can be like rosebud thorn. Oh, if you've yeah. ever done that yeah. before, um, you know what what's something you know what's a what's something you're growing on this week? It's the, the bud. You know what's something good this week? The rose, and then what's something that you're kind of worried about is the thorn, um, or even just asking people on a scale from one to five um, how how's their week going? I think five <laughs> is like this is the best week of my life, and like. <laughs> one is like i need some help here yeah yeah <laughs> um, th those kinds of like check-ins with people on an interpersonal level are really critical as well as those um those moments to learn from each other um you know at at cantina one of the ways that we do that is through a, a weekly meeting called the hive mind where we meet as a as a consultancy we just sit down and somebody presents on a topic for an hour um, that may or may not be related to design, but ultimately is going to help us to feel connected um, from a company culture standpoint. And we're, we're going to walk away learning and knowing something mm -hmm. new. Yeah, I think I walked in on some of those at the at the old office there. And those are really cool. Yeah, that's that's great advice. I love it. Thank you both. Uh, and thanks so much, Corey, for joining us and sharing your expertise. Thank you for having us. Listeners, uh, you've heard me talk about Cantina on the podcast in the past. We love Cantina. Uh, make sure, go to their website, check out their work. It's cantina.co, and we'll include a link in the description. Now it's time for our weekly dose of good design, where we each share an example of good design that impacted us or others in some meaningful way. I will start us off. So I can't stop thinking about all the electoral maps. They are just like in my brain. Um, and there's a couple I want to chat about. There's some good, some bad. Um, 
and you can really see how designers are like evolving them and improving them. So first is the classic and the worst, the map of the US where the states are color coded based on which candidate and which party won the majority of votes. So that's the classic red and blue map. Um, this is what I know everyone knows this because you've seen it on cable news outlets. And, you know, I watched John King on CNN on his touchscreen for about 18 hours straight. So very much burned into my retinas. This map is so misleading because it visualized land, it visualizes land as the key variable, not people. So a huge state like Montana gets colored red because Trump got roughly 341,000 votes. And you see this big field of red and, and your brain's like, wow, that's a lot of red. Uh, and then a small state like New Jersey, uh, which Joe Biden received about 2.2 million votes, which is 6.5 times the votes Trump got in Montana. You get this little blue shape in the shape of New Jersey. And so our brain is like, well, that's just a little blue right there. Not a lot. Um, even though New Jersey is way denser from a population standpoint than Montana. So this classic map makes the U.S. look like a predominantly Republican country. Um, but as we know, it's not. It's more evenly divided and Joe Biden won. Uh, so this is where you get that famous meme phrase that says, uh, land doesn't vote, people vote. And so uh, the New York Times did something to mitigate this. They redesigned the United States as a grid. And each state is made out of little squares. And the number of squares is the number of electors that each state gets. So Montana gets three little squares for its three electoral votes. Uh, and those are three little red squares. Uh, and then New Jersey gets 14 little blue squares. So, all right, there's more blue. That went for Biden. So... Even though the states are made up of now these little squares, the designers actually somehow got it to still look like the United States, which I thought was was pretty cool. Um, and now that the blue and red states are sort of scaled one to one, you can see how Biden won because there's more blue. Um, I like this one, uh, but I'm worried that the casual observer might be like, what's with this huge mess of squares? <laughs> it's meaningless to me. Um, one other quick one, this came out in 2009, so I don't know if it was updated for 2020, but it was from a group of researchers uh, led by Abraham Rutchik. And it's a map of the, it's the classic, you know, geography map of the US, but each state is colorized with a gradient between blue and red based on how many votes each candidate got. And what you get now is more of a purple map across the board, right? We are very much a divided, you know, mixed group. Um, so that was very interesting. But so my two favorites. Um, so there was a Trump supporter named Laura Trump. Sounds like a relative. Uh, tweeted a map of the U.S. Uh, and it was color coded by county. And so that made it look like there was even more red. Uh, and the blue counties were so tiny. There was just a few of them. Um, and she said something like, um, impeach this. And so a Belgian designer, let's get the name right here, named Kareem Duweeb. Uh, tweeted back and he said challenge accepted and he created an animation that transitions from this county map right so you've got all these different counties they scale into big dots or little dots based on the size of the population in that county so what happens is all these red counties shrink to be little red dots and those few blue counties scale to be huge blue dots based on the population and so you can see again how someone like Joe Biden could win. Um, and then the last one is my favorite, is sent to me from my friend Don Lehman. Uh, it came from the electoral map by the French newspaper Le Monde. 
Uh, and it's sort of a mashup between the typical United States map and the New York Times states grid. So the states stay the same as our geography class map, but they're grayed out. And then within each state shape are little red or blue squares. And those are color coded by who won. So you're still like, okay, here's the United States. You still have that mental model. You get to see different population sizes based on the number of squares. And then you see the change between blue and red. And uh, again, you can see how Joe Biden won because there's more blue. Um, and that one was my favorite. So electoral maps, a lot of fun, a lot of design there. So yeah, cool. All right, John, you're up. All right. So uh, you probably, uh, if if you've listened to my podcast, which you probably haven't, Creative Next, uh, and uh, uh, we talk a lot about how artificial intelligence is really going to intersect with creative practice and all of the interesting things that will come of that and how uh, AI assistants might uh, help you with your everyday creative work, whether you're a designer or a writer or musician. So I happen to be all three of those things, uh, hence my interest in this. And uh, there's a Boston-based company called Isotope uh, that we we talked to their their CTO on uh, on an episode. Um, but what I love so much about Isotope is, you know, they're incorporating all kinds of interesting artificial intelligence uh, assistants, AI assistants, into their their audio um, uh, editing programs. So as uh, as a you know musician, I tend to use a lot of their their products and and. What I really enjoy about, I, I really think they get the AI assistant right um, in terms of creative process anyway. So uh, the, the software I use theirs uh, most is their mastering software. Um, and, and what it does is it provides you, you know, this opportunity to sort of lay out for the AI assistant what it is that, what's your intent behind this uh, this song, you know, uh, you know, what is this particularly intense? Is it going to be, uh, you know, streamed or is it going to be, you know, uh, delivered via another mechanism? Uh, all these different questions uh, that you feed this uh, this AI mastering assistant. Um, and then it gives you, you know, examples, right? It says it goes through the software and you can see it sort of working in the background. It says, here are a bunch of human who's making this, uh, you know, here are a bunch of options that the AI is giving you. Um, and you can either say, okay, I accept those options um, or, or I reject them, or you can accept them and then you can go in and tweak them yourself. So, so what it, it really becomes an assistant rather than, you know, we have this idea that AI is going to suck all the creativity out of our out of our day-to-day -day practice and we're just going to be uh i don't know uh, not able to to do these things uh anymore because the jobs will be all done for us um and so i think what isotope does through their interface is it creates this uh this strange digital partnership that you have with this ai that can you know draw upon a bunch of data that you know, isotope is collected over time and say, hey, you know, you you probably want to 
have it sound a little bit like this, given your parameters. Uh, but at the same time, it doesn't constrain you. Um, and and getting that correct is going to be really important, you know, in in healthcare, right? Like so so you're going to have these same kinds of scenarios with, you know, clinical decision making, right? Where a doctor is going to be looking at a set of inputs and say, you know, I think it's this and there's going to be an AI assistant that's going to say, well, what about that? You know, what about this other option? So I think, you know, it's still early days with all this, but as far as audio editing goes, I, I think Isotope uh, really gets it gets it right with their AI assistance, and I I, I really love their software. So that's my huh. I'll check it out. My good design of uh, good design uh, pick, John. It was so great to catch up. Great to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Yeah, no, it was it was wonderful. Uh, you know, I look forward to uh, chatting again sometime soon. Absolutely. That's our show. Thanks again to John Follett and Corey Roth for joining us. We'll post links uh, to some of the things we chatted about on our episode page. Visit designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on podcast. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter at design underscore museum and on Instagram at design museum everywhere. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn. Two last quick things from the design museum. Remember to check out and pre-order our newest book, Bespoke Bodies, The Design and Craft of Prosthetics. So that's right there on the homepage. And then it's almost the end of the year. Uh, and I hope you all will uh, consider making a tax deductible donation to support Design Museum Everywhere and this podcast. Uh, your financial support means the world to us. It makes our mission possible. You really drive the impact that we can make. Uh, it helps us bring the transformative power of design everywhere. So please consider making that year-end donation. Visit our website, designmuseumeverywhere.org and click on the link at the top of the page. This episode was written by me, Sam Aquilano, and Amor Yates, who's also our producer. We've got technical production support from Ryan Flom and we're edited by Amanda Martinez. Our theme music is Orange Sunset by One Wave. For the whole team here at Design Museum Everywhere, thanks for listening and we'll talk again next week. <laughs>